Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 132. The RV Entrepreneur is a podcast for anyone interested in downsizing their life, creating remote income, and working from anywhere. And if you hear road noise in the background, that is because we are working from anywhere. I'm recording this podcast. We're at a little freedom camping site in New Zealand right off the side of the road. There's a little bit of road noise, but we have this awesome view of this lake. We are on our two-month camper van trip in New Zealand. We just released the Q&A episode last week about that. And dude, this place is awesome. You should come visit at some point. But that's not the purpose of today's episode, not ranting about New Zealand. On today's episode, I'm doing something that I've never done before. I'm replaying an interview I did on another podcast called Stories from the Road. This is a new podcast geared towards sharing stories from full-time RVers, and they recently brought me on the podcast interview. It's not super business-focused, but we also talked about business almost the entire time. We talked about a wide range of topics, everything from what our friends and family thought about us whenever we decided to go travel full-time, podcasting, how to get started, what impact it's made in our lives and our business, some of the results from Alyssa's book and the power of publishing a product on Amazon, and what's next for us in our dreams uh, of starting a campground and, and things like that. So I really think that you guys will like this interview, and hopefully there's some things that you've never heard us talk about or never heard me talk about um, in previous episodes. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into this episode from Stories from the Road. And we are rolling. Today is a big day. Now, if you've been listening to the show at all, you've probably heard most of my previous guests bring up this thing called the RV Entrepreneur Summit and talk about their experiences there and how wonderful and life-changing it was. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today I am thrilled to be joined by the man who not only started the conference, has a pretty awesome blog, vlog, authored a book, and hosts one of my favorite podcasts, and runs his own business out of an RV. The list could just go on. Heath Paget, how are you doing today? Good, Sam. Thanks for having me on, man. Where yeah, uh, where are you coming from? Uh, we're actually visiting our in-laws right now in outside of Dallas, Texas. So we are hanging out here for the next five days, and then we're hopping on the longest plane ride of my life from Dallas to LA to Australia to New Zealand. And uh, we'll be doing two months over there in a camper van. They call them camper vans over in New Zealand. And um, it's kind of been a dream of ours to go do RVing internationally. And so this is kind of our first foray. If you don't count Canada, uh, you know, it's our first like big international RV road trip. So we're pretty pumped. Yeah, Canada definitely doesn't count. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm from Michigan, so I'm basically Canadian. Yeah, now, it, does, it doesn't really count. So now I assume you, you know Adam and Lindsay Newburn, correct? Yes. Yeah, so they did the whole camper van experience. They did, yeah. They actually gave us their uh, internet, their, like, what do they call their internet hotspot? Or oh, like the jetpack or whatever? The jetpack, yeah. yeah. So they visited us, like, a month ago in Fredericksburg, and um, they gave us their, like, how to buy a camper van book, which had, had some of their favorite spots that they stayed in, and then also gave us their hotspot. So we're going to activate that baby as soon as we get <laughs> over there. But our RV actually comes with Wi-Fi, unlimited data oh. on board, so that was kind of a big selling point. We're renting one through a company called Wilderness Motorhome. Uh, I think they're just over in New Zealand, but they, uh, yeah, they come with unlimited data on board. So we're pretty excited to have that. I mean, I don't think all people who travel in a motorhome would be as geeked out about internet, but you know, we're, we're going to be working over there too. So yeah, it's funny because 
that's pretty much the number one thing people bring up, especially on this show, is just saying uh, the best. I mean, it's great living in an RV, but internet is like the hardest thing to find, especially like because you, you can't rely on the campground internet. Totally. And I saw there was like an RV, uh, there was like an RV centric brand the other day that was, that posted like, go roam where the Wi-Fi is weak. And I was like, screw that. Like, I do not <laughs> want to go there because I'm trying to get the videos uploaded and do, you know, uh, I, I get it. I get it. You know, you, that is obviously it's good to be disconnected. And it's kind of a funny thing too, because we travel in a 2016 Winnebago Brave. We've been on the road for four years now. Before this, we had like an old crappy 20 year old motorhome. It was a class and it was kind of just our first foray paid cash for it it was supposed to just be a road trip we decided to keep doing it um but once we upgraded to our nicer rig we'd still go to national parks and things like that at 33 feet we could still get in most places and sometimes like we'd get out of our motorhome and go see people like in the morning like wringing out their camping gear and it's all wet and gross and i feel bad because i have a latte in my hand and it's totally glamping but at the same time it was one of those things where it's like yeah in that moment that person was roughing it but they're probably also going to go back to their apartment or their house. And so it's kind of like a black and white. Like when you go out and camping, the whole purpose is to disconnect. And while we have those moments where we're boondocking in really cool places, we kind of live in more of this gray area because we're not ever really, you know, living luxury with a house that we can roam around in and unlimited hot water and unlimited great Internet and things like that. But we're always kind of in this gray middle ground area, if that makes sense. Now, before we get too much and in, more into, uh, you know, living online and how we're all slaves to the internet. Um, <laughs> I just kind of want to take things back uh, to the very beginning with you. Uh, and could you just like walk us all through your RV story? Yeah. Uh, so my wife and I were getting married uh, four years ago in Austin. And so we had been dating long distance and we just kind of started uh, brainstorming what life looked like after getting married. And at some point when I, I was working at a software sales job in Austin, and at some point I just remember following a guy on Instagram who was living in a truck camper and he was traveling around all these cool places and had all these epic views. And I'm pretty sure he was a photographer. So he like sold photos to Nat Geo and things like that. I didn't have that skill set, but I just remember thinking, how cool would it be to travel around for an extended period of time. And visiting my in-laws, I picked up an old laptop yesterday and actually saw one of my Evernotes that said, how would it be possible to travel for an extended period of time, which was kind of cool. That note was from uh, early 2014, so like January or February or something like that. And um, I just kind of like got this bug because I'd been out of college for like nine months. And, you know, my whole life, I you kind of had this structure with school and I played baseball in college. And so it's like, you know, everything's structured, everything's planned out. You never really have this freedom to just explore and figure out, like, what are you passionate about? Like, I just left baseball a couple of years before that. So it's like, you know, just wanting to have time to go kind of like people take a gap year. And uh, Austin is also really hot during the summertime. So Alyssa and I just started looking at where could we go after we get married, maybe leave our jobs and go like plot out a few different places across the country where we think we could potentially settle down and live. And so we, we pinpointed, it was like Southern California, Boulder, um, Nashville, uh, anywhere in North Carolina and Portland, Oregon. So all these places, some of we, some we had been to, but most we hadn't. And just places people told us were really cool. And so we were thinking, let's go do an Airbnb a couple of weeks in these places, see what, play, you know, see where we like, and let's start our lives together. 
And Alyssa is very much the planner. So she gets on Google Maps and Pinterest and she's like, well, what are we going to do in all these places? And um, she starts realizing we're going to have to zigzag our way across the country. And in college, we did a bucket list together, you know, write all the things that we want to do before we died. And one was visit all 50 states. And we had already done quite a few when we were dating. We'd go on road trips and stuff. And um, she was like, well, why don't we just do all 50 states on our honeymoon? And I thought that sounded awesome. So that was kind of like the seed inception, I guess you could call it, of what spurred us to initially get on the road. And um, because we wanted to have some type of project we could do on the road and we also needed to make money, we had some savings but not enough to bankroll, you know, a 50 state road trip. I met up with a mentor and just told him, I was like, I'm 23, still trying to figure out this whole career thing and I want to do more creative work and all this stuff. And uh, I was like, we're going to leave our jobs and go on this 50 state road trip. And the first thing he threw out there was like, you should work a job in each state. You know, apprentice people find out why they do what they do and what, and kind of just learn about yourself. He's like, you can work on a lobster boat in Maine. It gives you a cool project. You can earn money. And uh, he kind of just threw out, there's like a crazy idea. And I latched onto it thinking it was really cool. I told Alyssa, like, I'm going to work a job in each state during our honeymoon. And she's like, that's an awful idea. I don't want to work throughout our entire honeymoon. So I hadn't really thought that through yet. But uh, long story short, we ended, I ended up finding a company. I sent a cold email to an online job board called Snagajob. They help people find online jobs and was just like poured my heart out to their head of marketing, basically just sharing all these things about what I was feeling and why I was doing this road trip. And they got back to me and ended up agreeing to help us find some of the jobs during this road trip and kind of like made it legit and ended up sending us like hooking up us, us up with basically a thousand dollar a month sponsorship. I'd write blogs after each job. They uh, lend their job board connections. I'd share my experiences kind of thing. So that was kind of the first um, inception and we were just going to go out and travel for, Oh, and the, I guess one thing I kind of glossed over was we realized that an RV was probably the best way to go do this trip because it's going to be cheaper than staying in hotels and things like that. It just sounded really cool. Take a big, you know, RV American road trip <laughs> for seven months and then maybe come back home and get jobs. And so that was kind of the whole idea that got us out on the road. So we spent our first year, um, doing that and the company that sponsored our trip, uh, Snag a job. They sent us some film equipment. They were like, hey, do you want to turn this into a documentary project? We had zero experience in film, but we said, sure, why not? And uh, we learned how to film. It was like a GoPro and a little Panasonic camcorder. And uh, we just started shooting and we'd volunteer for free at conferences and kind of just like built some of those skills a little bit more. And Alyssa was filming two to three days a week of me showing up working these jobs. And we basically realized like within like a couple months that this was kind of a, a an amazing lifestyle that we had stumbled upon. Like we're traveling in new places and we weren't really making any money outside of what Snagajob was giving us. But we started reaching out to companies and doing like some guest writing and things like that, uh, just trying to make a few bucks here and there. And kind of our internal goal was like by the end of this trip, like let's find ways that we can continue doing this lifestyle full time because it's really cool. Uh, and so nine months in, we got our first paid video production gig. It was a half day for a thousand bucks. We shot an about video for a website, uh, for a blogger. And, uh, and then ever since then it was like, okay, well we can do this. Like we can make money outside of a typical nine to five job, I guess. And, uh, like we had learned these skills and we could continue traveling around the country. So that is, that is insane. How like <laughs> the stars seem to align for you on that. Now, when you were, uh, recording this documentary, uh, it had to have been pretty life-changing, was it not? It was. It was just like a constant state of being uncomfortable and doing things that we had no idea how to do. How would people react, you know, like 
people that, you know, did these for careers, these hourly jobs, because, you know, that really almost is the backbone of America. And how would people react, you know, coming into saying like, oh, some guy's just coming in to do my job for one day to see if it's hard? Like, did you ever have any negative sentiment or is it mostly positive? I think it I think it's all about the intent behind it, whereas our intent wasn't I didn't even know about have you heard of nickel and dimed? I have not. The book. Okay, there's a book written by a journalist called Nickel and Dime, and it was kind of just like a dismal look on hourly jobs, service jobs, like people who can't. And it was very much like, I'm sh- I haven't read it, to be totally honest. And, but it was kind of just very this negative outlook and things like that. And, and it was somebody going in there from, you know, a journalistic viewpoint to kind of validate, I guess, a hypothesis that they had about service jobs that you can't make a living off of them, things like that. This was not our goal or intention from the start. This was like, we want to go travel the country. We want to have a cool adventure. We we really weren't sure what the next step in our careers were. Um, and so this was kind of just a learning ground to go out and try a bunch of different things and learn from people, apprentice them for a, for a day in their job and ask them questions about why they, you know, why they enjoyed what they did, even if it was, you know, especially if it was like doing something that you may never think of. Like there was a guy... Um, who worked in an apple farm in Vermont named Blake. And he had a job, had a degree, had some student debt. But he was like, you know what? I like being out here. I like farming. I like growing organic food. And so this is what I'm going to do with my time. And so it was kind of just really cool experience. And uh, it helped us kind of gain skills and perspective that was important for us. Like I learned that I really enjoy interviewing people. And so after a year of traveling the country and interviewing lots of hourly workers, I wanted to find a new medium that I could sit down and continue to interview people, which is why I started podcasting. Uh, and even though it was like in a totally different arena, it's still there was all these different things that kind of accumulated to help us uh, propel ourselves forward, if that makes sense. Like it was a unique perspective. Like if we had stayed in our jobs in Austin, you know, maybe we would have incre- incrementally gotten higher pay and things like that. But it gave us a unique value proposition. It gave us a unique background, gave us a unique story that all became really good assets, I guess, for us moving forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So you guys did this like right off the bat, out of college, newlyweds, young. How how did your relationship change at, like before and after that? Like, What did you see? The first year was tough uh, in a weird way because it's like I found that like happiness and meaning don't necessarily go in hand in hand. Like that, if you ask me about that first year of, on the road, it was definitely very meaningful. I was I wouldn't say that it was always like happy but it had meaning, like it was hard. Um, like we were really out of our comfort zone and it was trial by fire in so many areas. We left four days after our wedding, moved into a small space. Um, and, uh, just even navigating, like our first day of work was at a martial arts dojo, dojo in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, and, uh, I've never done martial arts in my life and we're like showing up and we had to make three U-turns in Albuquerque before we got there. So we're driving the RV to this random place. That's stressful. We, we, we can't find the right address for the business. And, uh, you know, ultimately we get there and we're like, we don't know how to work the camera. I don't, I'm giving really crappy commentary because I don't, I don't know, we don't know what we're doing. Um, and so just kind of nav figuring out how to navigate working together, living together, traveling together in new and uncomfortable situations. I think it was honestly a great foundation for our marriage and 
I guess you can always tell yourself whatever you want, whether or not that's true or not. But I think for us, it ended up being a really good foundation because we had to sort through these things together. Like when we were in North Dakota and um, we we found ourselves in the middle of Sturgis Biker Rally that first year on the road and we had to take shelter and our RV got struck by lightning and melted our batteries. And when our fridge blew up and went out and we had to pack ice in there for a month because we didn't have enough money to like go out and replace it. Like these are all things that help bring us closer together. Uh, and, uh, I think helped us be more resilient and just know that we can get through stuff as a team. I mean, but yeah, there was definitely a lot of fights and stuff for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, being new RVers, adversity is essentially <laughs> everyone, everyone gets it, you know, it's never going to be perfect. It, yeah. It makes you grateful for sure. Like, um, you know, I grew up in a suburban rural community. I think those things go hand in hand, but it was kind of just like a nice cushy small town. Like there was no, there's not really too many people that like thought differently. And I just never really thought about like a suburban lifestyle. That's just all I knew. Uh, and then after going, even just living in RV for like three or four months full time where it's like, you know, we don't always have tons of water to go through. And sometimes if you hook up to water at a campground, like our first campground, one of the first we hooked up to, like we turned on our faucet and like orange water came out we realized, okay, like we need to re read the reviews better before we go to some RV parks. Um, and then I remember at one point we we're visiting a friend in Michigan yeah, she actually worked for a university up there and we were hanging out with her and like going to see watch a Packers game, I guess, with her and some friends. And it was like in a suburban town. And like we go into the house and like I get hit with how foreign it felt. <laughs> I was just like, oh, wow, this felt normal my whole life, but it feels so cushy now. Uh, and so I think that was a good thing because it just like it shakes things up in a good way. Yeah. And where where are you originally from? Uh, from Southeast Texas, a small okay, town there. So, and Alyssa's from Dallas. So uh, Okay, so two, pre I mean, pretty traditional place. So, like, what, what did your uh, friends and family think, you know, being a small town guy in, you know, Texas? I mean, I can't imagine a bunch of people from there have gone off in an RV and traveled the country. Uh, our dads both thought it was pretty cool. Our moms were uh, concerned. Um, like, I... I, my mom was more than anything. She just wanted us to finish college. So she didn't finish college. She actually went back and finished after we hit the road, which was really cool in the past couple of years, but she hadn't finished school. So her big dream was like, I want my kids to finish college. So we finished, I finished after at one point telling her I was going to drop out and not finish, but I did. And then I got a job. And so in her mind, she's like really happy. I've got this income. I'm doing something. I'm pretty good at it. And so it was more just like, she didn't understand. Like, why would you want to leave this and go do this trip when you're, clearly in a good place. So I think that was hard for her in the beginning. But then once we were able to make it work for ourselves after a little while and they realized like, okay, this maybe isn't just a trip or they're going to keep doing this and they're enjoying what they're doing and they're good at it. Um, they kind of came around. And then this past a couple of weeks ago, we hosted our army entrepreneur summit that you said some people had already mentioned on this show. And, uh, for the first time, like our, both of our parents got to come out and like, uh, see, kind of some of the community that we've helped helped build and uh, things like that. And so that was pretty cool too, just to have them kind of see like, hey, look, there's other people who are doing this. It's not as crazy as it once looked. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, because you, I mean, that must have been a very easy way for you to like transition out because I mean, in my opinion, uh, just from seeing and like learning more about the RV com community, you two are two of the most, I want to say, prolific, iconic members and it kind of make, brings it right to where I want to move is uh, I want to dive more into your entrepreneurial aspects. Um, and I'd like to start with the big one that you just mentioned, the R RVE Summit. So you just wrapped up your second year. 
For the listeners who may not know, uh, could you just give a quick elevator style pitch? Uh, just explain it. Yeah, so it's a, a conference, annual conference that we have for people who are building a business of sorts on the road or transitioning and want to do that. Uh, and so we have speakers, workshops, and attendee-led meetups. And uh, it was kind of just something that uh, was born out of uh, our Facebook community and the podcast that I host where I interview different people who have a business that they run while traveling in an RV. And so some for some people, it's, you know, they're, uh, maybe they're about to retire and they've been doing photography in person for a very long time, but they're trying to figure out how they do that from the road. So sometimes it's like family. So it's not really like an age or demographic or anything. So it's just like a mentality. It's like people who want to continue building something meaningful in their career or their life, but they want to be able to also mix that with going out and traveling the country and exploring really cool places. So what was it like, um, not only seeing your idea come into fruition, but be exponentially more successful than you ever really imagined. Yeah. So it was, uh, I guess not this past fall, but the fall before I was hanging out with my friend, Eric, who was a speaker at both, both events, both years. And I told him, I was like, we kind of want to host like a meetup or something. Like we've got this Facebook group community and people on our blog and the podcast and starting to kind of bring like collect people, not collect people. That's a weird way to describe it. Certainly like bring together people who are like-minded, but it'd be cool to do it in person. But it also feels very intimidating because you have like going and taking something that's online and bringing it in person is kind of scary. At least it was for me. Um, and so I was telling him about this and he's like, you should just do it because we were spending our winter in Texas, which we normally do because we visit family and stuff. He's like, you're going to be around here. You know, people, you know, kind of the area, even if you just get 30 people to come like that'd be cool. So I was like, you know what? we're going to do it. You know, we'll, well, maybe it'll just be like a one to two day event. We'll bring some people together. Uh, you know, we'll, uh, and if we have 30 people, it'll be a success because up to that point we had had zero because we'd never done it before. And that was last year. We ended up having 120 people come out and we had like three full days of workshops and, and, uh, main stage talks. And, uh, it was really cool. And I think, uh, one of the biggest reasons why was just because there was a draw for people to have the community because I mean, if you say I'm going to go out and travel the country in an RV, whether it's for six months or a year, or you're just going to do like an extended period of time on the road like us, you don't have, you typically don't have somebody like in your friend group or your circle group that understands why you'd want to go do that. It seems very foreign. So for the first time, like, I guess being able to be around a lot of other people who are wanting to do that or are already doing that, like you don't have to explain and you, you've all, like you've all went through similar circumstances and having to tell family and friends and make this life transition and, and kind of go on a limb together. And so it's just, I think, you know, bringing people together that are so niche, like we have so much in common with so many of these people, even though we all have like different belief systems or whatever. Um, I think that's what's been really cool. And then, so then we doubled in size from last year to this year and we sold out uh, both events pretty quickly. Um, we could have, I think we could have had a lot more people that, that came. I know we could have, but, uh, it's kind of fun to not try to grow too much and too fast because I think it helps keep the event more intimate. Um, so yeah. And it's also really hard to find campgrounds with good, like facilities to, you know, host an event on site. So that's kind of another issue all in itself. Yeah, it, that's kind of the, the funny thing is like it is like a, a, a growing movement, you know, the RV entrepreneurs, even just people just moving into RVs and traveling. But, you know, the, the country is so big. It's, you know, there could be 10,000 people out and you guys could be, you know, 100 miles away from each of them. So it's super cool seeing the whole community come together and then, you know, hear the stories from everyone that's met or like because everyone says, you know, it's like, oh, uh, you know. 
we would always watch Heath and Alyssa's blog and then we got to meet him or, you know, I interviewed Kevin and Mandy from 188 square feet. They were t- talking about Liz and Ed, you know, just everyone just kind of meets and it's, it's just kind of awesome hearing all those stories and how everyone just finally got together where in reality you would never all end up at the same campground. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it is. It is pretty cool. And I think there is like a potentially a misconception. There was not a, not a huge misconception, but a few people that had it, I guess, about a lot of the event as a whole, which was just that like everybody that is coming is like a YouTuber or a content creator. And the reality is a lot of people who are younger or old, actually, I don't think it, I think it's just a new thing that whenever you go on the road, it's like you want to be able to document your time on the road. And right. I, now that I'm saying that, I don't even think that is a new thing. That's probably always been something because people want to doc, even back in the day, I'm sure it was like journaling, you know, like before even the internet was around, it's like, you want to document and share these really cool life-changing moments when you're seeing the Tetons and stuff. So that being said, I think one thing that was kind of cool this year, and I heard a lot of people say like, oh, that was surprisingly, uh, which was just the the amount of diversity of what people were doing on the road. Everything from doctors to photographers to Etsy stores to uh, like people setting up pop-up shops at like NASCAR, like all, all that you could possibly think of, of business types, like people coming together and yes, a lot of people are creating content on the road, but it, it was, I think it's a lot bigger than that, which I think is really cool because it's just, I, I think um, if you say like, oh, well, it's just for people who want to be a blogger, like that's, well, that's not true. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And th- that's another thing a lot of people definitely seem to look, look past is, you know, you, they see people like you and they're like, well, yeah, I mean, they got it good. You know, it's like you got the... The, the the YouTube subscribers and the popular podcasts, how can I ever do it? And people don't realize, you know, it's, I, I just interviewed the other day uh, Liz and Ed Wilcox, and Ed's just going to become an RV repairman. It's not <laughs> it's like the, one of the, not a, a high-tech online job. Totally, and I think what's cool about that is that there's so many, there's so many conversations we've had, and you know, this life and doing this is not for everyone. Everyone does not have the desire to go travel the country, live in RV, um, or even take an RV across the country. Like that's definitely not on the list for everyone, but it is for quite a few people. And I think there's a lot of people who want to do it, who don't realize that it is feasible. You know, even like Ed's a great example. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really work on the computer a ton. And so he's, he's going to RV repair school and that's what he's going to do from the road. And there's just so many ways to make it happen in this day and age. And I think when you tell somebody at face value, it's like, yeah, I travel, I've traveled the country for the past four years. I've been all 50 States, a bunch of Canada. And now we're going to New Zealand. Their instant thought is like, wow, I wish I could do that. And that was my instant thought four years ago. You kind of like make excuses for why you couldn't do it. Uh, which I did too, like, because I have debt and all these other factors. Um, and so it's just kind of cool to see people making it happen in different ways. Um, because it is a big dream and it's really cool and you have to work hard for it, but it's, it's super meaningful experience. Yeah, it's not easy. And, you know, anything that takes any effort will scare off about <laughs> yeah. 90% of people. So attempting true. To do it. So true. Yeah, very true. What have, uh, what's, what, what have been some of your favorite moments from your RV, RV summits? The RV summit. Um, I was talking to John and Nadia, who were a couple of our attendees that came both years. And uh, they were just talking about how they made friends that, you know, they're going to be people that are going to be lifelong friends for them. 
and, and you could just see in the sincerity, like they, that they meant it and that it's true and that they will be friends with these people for the rest of their lives. And so I think that's a, that's a huge value of most events and most conferences is like you meet people who get to be dear friends and maybe there's business opportunities and stuff. That's cool. But um, just having people that to kind of share the journey with is super meaningful. And to know that um, like when we hit a few the road a few years ago, like one of our big hurdles was obviously finances is big, but I think in order for, you know, travel to be sustainable, there has to be an element of like meaning and community that kind of are all intertwined into the mix. And so I just knowing that we could help facilitate that was has been pretty cool because we struggled with finding friends after we left Austin, we lost a lot of our friends. And so our second year on the road, we're like, okay, well, we still like RVing, but we're trying to figure out how to make money. And most of the most of it was centric around that. But I realized there was definitely a gap and just wanting to be around like minded people. So knowing that people could have hit the like people, there was a lot of people who hit the road last year and their first stop was the RVE summit. And that last year throughout the year in our Facebook group, like every week or every other week, we'd see photos of people hanging out on multiple occasions and meeting up. So there, there was kind of this instant source of the community. So that way, if you're traveling somewhere new, like you're not alone. And there's people out there who kind of got your back. And um, so that was, I think that's been pretty cool. Yeah, and it's the community. That's that's what sells everyone. <laughs> totally. Uh, so where where do you see the conference in five years? I don't even know if it'll be around in five years, to be totally honest, Sam. I, um, Alyssa and I had that talk the other day because we've kind of been taking it year by year. A lot of, a lot of events, they will kind of sell tickets for the next year and stuff. And we haven't done that just because we are kind of taking it year by year. Um, because I mean, we do a lot on top of this. Like we, we have clients that we work with. We do a lot of video projects for companies like Winnebago. Um, and, uh, also I have campground booking my software startup. And right. so it's like working on those projects and, and also still running like a, an event, an event can be a full-time job in and of itself. And also I want to make sure that it continues to be authentic and something that is real. And, and if we aren't, you know, RVing full-time in a few years, like maybe it's still relevant, maybe it's not. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, we'll, we'll kind of continue to reevaluate on a year by year basis, but I definitely will definitely be doing it again in 2019 and we're trying to find a venue right now. So I'll just kind of, continue to see how it grows. But I guess the one interesting thing that I've kind of, that I'm kind of excited about and, and how it is looking forward is like one, continue to have more people who are building their lives and interesting businesses on the road, but also merging this community of RVers with the traditional RV industry as a whole is kind of a big internal driver for me. So like this year we had Camping World there, Winnebago, WeBoost, Dometic, some bigger companies. Um, and and what's really cool is that it's one of the f one of the few times I have seen, and I haven't been a huge member of the RV industry or community for a very long time, but it was one of the first times I'd seen people from the industry come together and have meaningful conversations with people who are in the products. And I think that's where really interesting things happen. Like we had a Winnebago lab, so we had people going in there throughout the weekend and talking about like, this is how I'd love the desk to look and getting really good feedback and that's qualitative and that hopefully th those product planners can take back and see like, how can we make RVs that are ergonomically friendly and that really um, help people who work on the road? Because that is a big population of people who are even maybe they're not working full time, but they're still playing on their computers or, or, or sending emails or whatever. And so th I think that's an important thing and to have that voice and continue finding interesting ways for people who are not just full timing in the products, but building cool 
RV uh, centric businesses for the industry as a whole. Like there's a guy I just interviewed on the podcast named Scott who's doing an RV telehealth company. Um, Outdoorsy was at the event and they do rentals peer to peer. And so it's just kind of interesting to continue seeing like how to create kind of a central conversation of innovation for people who are not only in the products, but like working on cool solutions in the RV industry. Between, you know, the weekend warriors to the uh, seasonals to the full timers to the boondockers, it's so like each each niche is broad. But at the same time, when they're in the campgrounds together, they're all pretty much there for the same reasons. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) So you do kind of have a vision for where you you kind of that's just the path you see it. You see it taking. Yeah, totally. And I think and part I guess part of that is because, you know, one, the community is growing so much that and the industry is growing so much that there are more and more solutions that are coming. So it's a it's cool to see a lot of people who are in the products creating solutions that can affect tens, hundreds, thousands of people, um, because that's just how much like the community is growing so much that naturally there's products and services that are that are emerging um, to help this growing industry, if that makes sense. Yeah. Kind of like uh campgroundbooking.com, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we like, that was one big issue we faced on the road our first year and really still now is just a lot of campgrounds use kind of antiquated systems. Like they're still using pen and paper, um, or Excel to take online reservations. And like, if we roll into a town, um, at six or seven o'clock, we can't like pull up an app and show like real time availability for the places that have. So we actually have to show up or call. And if office is closed, it's just I'm like, why are we doing this? Like, we're, why is this so far behind? Um, and so it's kind of been a little bit more complex of a problem. Like once you dig into it, because obviously the bigger chains and things like that have property management systems where you can book online. Um, but it's just very fragmented. And so that's one thing that we've been working on is basically taking high traffic websites in the camping industry and turning those into booking sites. So we are live right now in Canada with a site called Travel British Columbia. And basically our platform turns that website. They're basically using our our, our booking system, white labeling it and then enabling bookings from the site that has a million plus visitors a year and it ranks number one for campgrounds in British Columbia. And we're working on doing that with other websites in the camping industry as well as and on top of selling our, our SaaS product to campgrounds um, so they can manage their property and take online reservations. So, Hey, you're doing the Lord's work there, Heath. It's, it's genius. <laughs> everybody, everybody wants that. I mean, even if you just go to a state campground, you log on and the, the UI is just, it's, it's, it's horror. It's horrific. And, and, you know, it just goes to show, it's show. I'm happy that a bunch of people are becoming entrepreneurs and, um, going back to your last uh, thought, which was you know going how people are innovating to make it better for everyone on the road. Uh, it's nice to see it finally moving forward because I mean, as you probably know, the RV industry isn't on the cut is never on the cutting edge of technology. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's pushing uphill sometimes, but at the same time, like you you got to try. You know, I we have a rule that in our house it's like if you you can't complain about something unless you're willing to try to do something about it. So, I complained enough about not being able to book a campground, so it kind of just makes sense that uh if I'm going to complain about it, I'm going to work on something for it and whether or not it turns out and and it grows to be what we hope it to be, it's we're going to put in the effort to to see what we can make from it. Yeah, and I I also admire that a lot about you is the fact that you took your you know, you're, you you have a background in tech, correct? Yeah, I was at a software startup yeah. in Austin. So I, I like the fact you, you know, you took your, your your background and your talents and you meshed it with like your passions. It's pretty cool to see. 
Yeah, I think that's kind of been one thing that has been interesting since we've gotten on the road is like everything has kind of worked more and more into this whole RVing world because I found that there's like almost a compounding interest the more that you can niche down. So when we we were doing videos, um, at, when we first started um, doing like freelance production work for people, we were doing like video courses for like nurses who were like prenatal breastfeeding consultants. Uh, and I'm like, this has nothing to do with RVing. You know what I mean? Like right. we're planning book tours for authors and it was still cool creative work. It was much better than sitting in the nine to five that I had before. We were making money on our own terms, which is fantastic. But kind of the underlying goal kept for Liz and I being we want to just stick to this one vertical because that shift in focus I found is really hard. And now that we are all under one umbrella in this whole RVing niche, it's still so broad that it's like we can do a lot under this one area and things will compound. We'll go to a show uh, with Winnebago to do some video work for them. But at the same time, like I'm having biz dev meetings for campground booking and uh, doing some content creation or vlogging of our own. So it's like that's the power, at least in our world, of being able to do a lot of things under one roof. I mean, it's super inspirational to see. And I mean, I, I, not only me, but a lot of people that follow you, it's it's super cool to read. And I, we, always, I, we always look forward to seeing you guys post more. And now the, the conference and the website and all that, that's a huge part of your brand, but I'd like to go a little further into a few other mediums you utilize and one you brought up earlier, uh, which would be like podcasting. So full disclosure is as uh, soon as I was asked to, you know, host this podcast, I thought, uh, where do I even start? You know, I'd done like podcasts with my friends before, but never one about RVing and definitely never one that was a long form interview format. So mm-hmm. I kind of hopped on iTunes, searched RV and sure enough, Day one, it had been the first one I found was one of your podcasts, and you know I listened to it, and I have to say I'm I'm a little bit of a fanboy. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I just I just want to talk some shop here. Um, you're over 120 episodes in now. How have you seen your show evolve? Uh, yeah. So I think there's quite a few things. I, I recently, I guess a few months back, went and listened to some of the early episodes. I think one thing that I saw in myself, and I heard it from a couple other people, I guess is just kind of a confidence as you go forward. And I could even notice in some of the earlier episodes, I kind of lowered my baritone and my voice. And I was like, hey, this is Heath Padgett and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. So it's like, I was almost trying to play it up a little bit. And I was trying to sound, I guess, a bit more professional. And so along the lines, I guess, one of my values that has kind of emerged is just trying to be authentic, Authentic to the point of sometimes sounding a little unprofessional, but I think I don't think I'm trying to find a way to describe this. Not being unprofessional in the sense of like I still have music, I still try, I still normalize, I still compress my soundtracks, I still try to make it sound very clean. But sometimes, like if I have a little bit of a ramble that's off topic, like I'll just leave it in there because one of my values is I want it to be authentic and and real with people. Um, So I think that's kind of been one thing that I've seen evolve. Another thing has been just recently. Um, trying, did you say something? I thought I heard something cut in. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh. Uh, another thing that I, that has been kind of fun is just playing around with different formats and not taking it too seriously. Like I, there's a type of episode that I do that I, I think they're the ones I'm most proud of, which are 
in in moments that have been hard for us on the road. Like I just released one last week of an update on uh, co-founding Campground Booking. It's like I recorded audio in the RV of the day that we launched our with our first campground. So we're taking reservations and we had like a plethora of people hit the system all at once. We had a couple of bugs that came up. We ended up having to take it down and we had to deal with like 150 angry customers essentially. But it was one of those things like I recorded it in the moment, in that hard moment, and then I go back and narrate it kind of like inspired by NPR kind of thing. And it's obviously not that quality. Like I don't do a ton of music, but I kind of look back on like I've done a few of those. Uh, and so those have been really cool cause I'll record something in the moment and then like six months later, sometimes a couple months later, like I'll go back and kind of like narrate a story over it to share like what I learned and how, even though I was freaking out in that moment, like things are better now. So I think that's been kind of cool because, uh, it's podcasting is becoming more and more competitive. So, um, I know that just having an interview podcast is not intriguing as intriguing when you've got these other shows that are really killing it, you know, with sound effects and like they have a team of editors and they're doing research and they're spending a month producing an episode. So I just think finding additional ways to just be creative and try new things. Um, and I would say the last thing is, um, I think for me, always trying to be curious. I feel like that's what I've learned as an interviewer. I still have so long to go. You know, I've only been doing a couple of years now and I want to be a good student and keep learning. But I found that it's hard for me to fake because now I've asked so many questions that I don't want to be complacent and just ask people like, what made you get an RV and start traveling? Like I, I just um, like to a certain point, I, in my gut, like I don't want to ask that question because it's not that I don't care. It's that I know the, I've heard so many answers that it's like, even though they're different, they're all kind of slightly the same. And so has just been trying to figure out how to always be curious and know that everyone has something they're passionate about and some element of value that they can provide, whether it's from a business or travel or life advice kind of thing. And so just trying to find ways to be okay with that. Like one thing I've been doing is the podcast, the whole niche was like when I started Every single person that I interviewed had to have been on the road for six months and started uh, and runs a business from their RV and they travel full time. So that's like so, so niche. And what I started realizing lately was the part of life that I'm in was I've been on the road. We've been on the road now for four years. We've been running our business for a while. And I want people in the next phase of life who really can challenge me from a business perspective and that I want to talk to and just like ask questions for things. I don't know. Like if we're trying to scale this software, uh, you know, platform and like want to get into. So like I find myself kind of steering more towards the thing that I'm really interested in um, while still keeping it in the niche. Um, so like I interviewed Ashish Bhattacharya from Winnebago. He runs he, he ran the acquisition for Grand Design. So it was like a $500 million acquisition. He's talking about how, and I recently interviewed talking about just like how to verify pain points in an industry. And, and it was still like, still RV entrepreneur focused, I guess you could say, but it was like things that I'm geeking out and I'm learning. And so for me, it's like, I struggle to have that pa passion long-term for it. If I'm not bringing on people who I feel like are challenging and making me learn and grow versus just trying to stay in one place, if that makes sense. That makes complete sense. I mean, I I think this is the ninth episode of this show, and I, I listened to the first one, and, you know, I struggled to get it to 20, like, I think almost 30 minutes. It was like, I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm already, I'm already <laughs> out of questions, and I was like, yeah, I was nervous, and, you know, even at this point, I already feel like questions are coming to me more e easily, and, you know, it's kind of taking its own shape, and it's, it's, it's interesting because... 
you know, I'd like to hear your take on this too, but it's like, not only have I seen like my show change, like even in, you know, the, the month it's been coming out, I, I've seen almost like myself change. Like I, I notice more things that I do. I've, I'm always like, I'm always improving, trying to improve myself, trying to be better. And I notice a lot of quirks, which is always kind of funny. I mean, I'm assuming you do as well. Totally. So do you edit your own episodes? Uh, I do. Okay, I think that's good. I edited like the first 40 or so of my episodes and then I knew I didn't like it and I wasn't great at it, but editing like those first 40 really was helpful because I would listen to myself say the same thing over and over again and I was like, dude, you need to stop saying that. You sound like an idiot. Um, you know yeah. what I mean? So I feel like that's super helpful from like an audio standpoint. I, I'm a, I'm no angel on that. I think there was one episode I said like, and uh, like, I think I had like, <laughs> like an hour editing and, it out. And, and, um, but, or I would use those all three at the same time as filler words. Right. And every time I did, I wanted to hit myself. Cause I'm like, dude, it's one thing to use one, but when you use all three, come on, Heath, like, uh, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it happens all the time. It really does. It's okay. Now with you becoming this big RV podcaster, you know, like the gold standard podcast in RVing, I would say, uh, what has that done for your brand, like like for your business? I mean, I've, I've got to assume people like recognize you, especially in the industry. Um, that's a good question. It's so funny because it's like I I don't I don't ever think that, and it's like I know that people listen and you see the numbers online, but it's like RVing is like a in the in the scheme of things, like nobody knows who I am. You know what I mean? Like we're in the maybe like RV RV world. It's like people listen to the podcast, but in like the grand scheme of things, like nobody walks up to me at Walmart and says like, Oh, Heath, I listen to your podcast about RVing. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like, it's one of those things that, um, it honestly didn't feel that, that real until, um, the summit almost, you know, last year. And then this year, because you realize like these are real people and their lives have kind of been, have been changed and affected in, in meaningful ways because, of the content that has been shared through like the podcast and not just not my story, but just everyone's story collectively. Um, and so that's, that's been really cool. And I started a tab in my email that file this morning. I saw it, someone like tweeted about it. They're like life hack, started an email tab called uh, like, uh, encouragement and every nice email you get, like drag it in there. So I started doing that this morning cause someone sent like a really nice four point email about how the podcast has changed their life for the better. And, uh, that's super cool. You know, that's, that's meaningful. And like, I, you know, on days when uh, I'm struggling for the motivation to, to crank out an episode or to line up an interview, like that's, those will be the things that I will kind of look back on and be like, okay, that was great. I'll say my biggest struggle has just been like, um, chasing down sponsors and, and things like that. I did that a lot last year for like ads and stuff. And it was just like cents on the dollar <laughs> yeah. for the show. Uh, so that was one, and, and I hadn't really wanted to jump into like the Patreon world or anything like that. And the only reason I, I even had a desire to 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 monetize the podcast was just because I, I pay for edit, editor and also I guess producer in the sense that they help me line up some of the interviews and things like that. Um, and so I just kind of I I kind of quit chasing down ads in the RV industry because even though they were um, actually doing well for the sponsors, like. I guess they're just a little bit more old school in the sense of not wanting to see like they don't get maybe the value of a, a podcast right. kind of What's thing. What's a so, podcast? Ad yeah. <laughs> when I can buy a newspaper ad or a billboard exactly. or yeah. direct mail. Or, um, totally. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah it, I mean, it, it is hard to see the value in it 
for people maybe looking to get into a podcast, do you have any uh, like little advice for them? Um, advice for podcasting is I think the same advice I'd probably give for anybody who want to start any content medium, which is just be willing to see it through like a certain number. Um, and, and I guess for what's worked for me personally, and I don't know if this works for everyone, but it's just to have that internal motivator, which is for me, it was, I started the RV entrepreneur podcast when we were like really just getting going with our business. Um, and we're starting to find clients and things like that. And I very much started it with a sense of like, I want to do this as a community because I don't know exactly what I'm doing and I'm learning as I go and I'm doing it, but I, I'm not that person who's an expert looking back. Um, and so I think that was cool because it never, I never really tried to have to act like I knew everything of what I was talking about because it was just, we're learning and making it up as we go. Um, and so I think for me, I committed to do, I think 25 or 50 episodes and I was like, okay, I'll do the 25 or 50 episodes, see how it goes, see if I like it. And I felt like that would give me enough time to really see it through. And if I didn't know by episode 50, I, w- I should know by episode 50, whether or not I liked it. And if the results were where I wanted them should, to be. So, um, my friend, uh, Jajang, who is a TED speaker and author, he, he calls it the emotional runway, which is basically like a number that you're coming up with in your mind, like before you give up. So it could be like selling a product, like how many no's am I willing to get through before I get one? Yes. What is it worth to me? Is it worth 50 no's? Is it worth 50 tries? For me, it was like, okay, if I do 50 podcast episodes, I'll see if I like it. Um, and then just not getting hung up. I talked about doing a podcast for like two years before I started. I should have started way earlier from a technical aspect. I was kind of intimidating because it seems like starting a podcast is harder than like starting a YouTube channel or a blog. But, um, the most helpful thing for me was I just sat down and listened. I went through Pat Flynn. He has a tutorial. Um, I'm sure if you have show notes for this, you can link it up in the show notes, but he has like a 12 part video tutorial on how to start a podcast. I literally just sat down for an afternoon and went through all of those. It shows you how to upload it to iTunes, what kind of mic you should get. I bought a Blue Yeti mic for like 115 bucks off Amazon, hooks right into a USB. You just talk. Um, I think it's meaningful to cut, to really be thoughtful around the topic and obviously get good cover art. Um, so you can go to 99designs. We have an RV entrepreneur Facebook group. There's probably somebody in there who would design your cover art. I use a girl named Suzanne. She's awesome. She'll do it. So it's like if you start removing, I think, all those little nuances and get past it, like once you actually get past it, edit a couple episodes, it actually becomes pretty easy. It's still time sensitive to do an episode. You have to line it up, coordinate it, pick the time, vet the questions, do the interview, then edit it. But really, it's just like clicking upload on Libsyn, and I yep. upload my content directly on Libsyn, which is my media provider, and then it gets distributed out through uh, iTunes, Stitcher, you know, everywhere that people listen to podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify. Are you on Spotify? Uh, yeah, and okay. that, that that rings really true. Cause I, I I started my first podcast probably about three or four years ago. It was just like a movie one with my buddy, and yeah, when you first hear like when you realize it's like, wait, I have to pay for hosting you know that's already one roadblock and then like <laughs> the idea of an rss feed is so foreign you know totally totally but you don't realize it's just copy and pasting yeah it's really easy once it's up and going and it's it's not that crazy i think i think format wise like the mo- one of the most helpful things has just been picking a theme and a niche and kind of sticking with it too for a little while to see kind of how it goes because i think that's podcasting behavior is very interesting because it's 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 intimate like you hear someone's voice, it's less intimate than video. It's more intimate than blogging. 
And so it's a it's an interesting way to like get to connect and talk to people um, in, a, in a meaningful format. And uh, it's pretty cool. And and they listen to a lot. Like if you listen to a podcast, I saw some stats recently. It's like you you om- you listen to like five to seven podcast episodes a week if you listen to podcasts. And, yeah. um, and so you're like super dedicated. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a, it's an interesting way to get to connect with consumers and customers and build a community. Yeah. Cause it, like you said, it's less intimate than video, but you know, who would, who would watch, you know, we're at 50 minutes or so now who would watch 50 minutes of you and I just sitting in a room talking. Nobody. Yeah, like I'm not throw that it on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Kind of moving to like even longer formats you and Alyssa have jumped into as well is writing books, which, you know, that's like the one, you know, I've always like had it one in like an idea big bet in the back of my mind, but man, I don't, I do not have the patience to sit down and write an entire book. I'd like to just kind of hear like how you got the, not only inspiration, but just kind of the motivation and like pulled all the pieces together to create and get a full book out there. Totally. And I'll use Alyssa's illustration because her book is killing it and doing way better than mine ever did. Um, and she did it much better. And so uh, we had worked with clients in the past who done book launches. And one of our goals for the reason why we ever started a blog in the first place, because we wanted to write books, we just enjoyed writing and, and sharing stories. And so uh, just from our Facebook group, we have a Facebook group called the RV Entrepreneur. We have like, I think like close to 10,000 people in there. And you know, kind of see a lot of the questions that people have whenever they transition to living on the road full time in an RV and uh, and also just from our own experience. And so Alyssa took a lot of the those common questions and kind of created a narrative around it, shared uh, what we had learned as well. So the book's called A Beginner's Guide to Living in an RV, Everything I Wish I Knew Before Full Time RVing Across America. And she released it in November. We actually were shooting with Camping World the day that it I think the day it went live or the day she exported or something like that in in um, in Nashville. And uh, since it's done uh, over 6,000 copies, uh, which is really, really cool. Uh, she just released the paperback a few weeks ago, and that's just been a huge spike in, in people getting that book. So she sells anywhere from 20 to 30 copies a day on Amazon, which is really, really cool. Um, so that's just been like an interesting new product. And, um, the feedback has been really good for the book because it's, it's, it's one thing to say, like, I'm an expert and I know all things and, and we've very much tried to steer away from that. So like her book is like everything I wish I knew and we don't have experience downsizing from a big house, traveling with family, traveling with pets. And so like, she was very, she, you know, like if you read the description of the book, she very much talks about that in the beginning. And so I think sometimes it can be intimidating to share what you learn. Um, but, but I think that's mostly if you're coming from like, a, I'm expert and I know everything versus saying like, I can only share what I know from my experience. So here's what it is. And people have got a lot of value from it. So yeah, super awesome. The sub, the, the subtitle of the book, I mean, that's, you see so much content of that just all over the internet. It's like, what do I need to know before I start doing this? Exactly. Yeah. So just being able to put it in that, that transition point. And, and to a certain extent, it's like, I would love to see her because she writes like really good, funny stories of like when stuff goes wrong and things like that. But also at this point and where we're at, um, it was kind of cool for her to just crank out a book that was more practical how to versus like sharing some of those. So I think probably the next book that she writes, I could see her doing something along the lines of like, you know, some of the adventures and the stories and the cool parts of travel. And, you know, maybe it doesn't sell as much as a how to or maybe it does. Maybe it does way better. Um, so that'll be kind of something cool that I'm interested to see. And I think for us, our main goal with it 
was really just Amazon's a big search engine that we're not on and we want to learn it. We want to understand it. We want to get out there and just play around with it. And so a big part of it was also just treating it as a big experiment to just get on this platform that's dominating the internet and see what happens. Very interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. You know, it's like just trying to forge your own path on the, you know, the, the mountain that is Amazon. Exactly. I mean, if you think about it, it's like everyone talks about YouTube being the second biggest or third biggest search engine behind you behind Google and all that stuff. Well, Amazon is not a search engine. It's a marketplace, but it has just as many queries as, you know, like a search engine. So just trying to be in a lot of different places. Yeah, it was, I mean, yeah, and it's <laughs> everything on Amazon is not free, much unlike YouTube. Exactly. But but it's also just like people you have a captive audience of people searching for things that can solve their problems. And some people like videos, some people like podcasts, some people like books. So trying to create as much content that can appeal to all these different audiences, um, you're bound to hit quite a few of them. (laughs) Yeah. You know, especially as like as entrepreneurs like you guys are, I can only imagine what the what the value behind getting like the enough SEO to get on, you know, that someone types an RV book to get on that first page. Like that's gotta be insane. Like just the traffic that just your product would see. Yeah. There's just, there's way more than I would have thought. So it's kind of cool because people are now finding us through her book versus like the other way around when it first started was like, you know, people from our community going to get the book. And now it's people that are like, I found and read your book and now I'm following you. So it's, it has kind of worked in a way like a search engine because people have started there versus like the other way around. So that's been really cool to see as well. It's all just coming full circle. You know, (laughs) so the, the name of the book, um, a beginner's guide to living in an RV. Now just kind of pushing the, the, uh, show forward a little bit. I, I heard through the grapevine that, uh, you're selling your RV? We did. We listed it this past week for sale. Oh, why uh why are you moving? So we um we've had two RVs and our big our next big dream is to do uh international RV trips. Like we just want to do international RV travel. So we're going to uh New Zealand for 2 months on right. a camper van trip. We leave in 5 days and then we get back we're going to drive a class C motorhome up through the to do like the Alaskan highway. Um, and drive up through British Columbia. We have a bunch of campgrounds using our software up there. So we're going to like stop, take photos of the parks and, um, and all that good stuff. And, uh, we're planning on doing kind of like a rental type of thing with Winnebago. We do a lot of content stuff for them. So we'll just hop in one of their products. Uh, it's called a fuse for, and, and we'll be a little bit more nimble at like 24 feet. So we don't have to tow a car. So we could just drive around and do that. Um, and then after that, we don't really know what we're going to do, uh, but we're planning on going to Europe in 2019. Or that's the hope and the goal. Uh, so we want to do some RVing travel over there. So we're not really sure like what the next type of rig that we're going to get is at the moment. Is it hard to leave the rig, you know, all the memories and all the travels like that? Like It is. You get um, graduation goggles. Have you heard that term before? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So like you, you, vitamin you hate C high place. school. Yeah. You, yeah. You hate, you hate high school or college, but then like the day you're graduating, you get the the nostalgic graduation goggles. Um, yes and no, like we love the rig. Um, but we also just also like the idea of being completely out of debt and we paid off all of our student debt since we started traveling. We still have money on the rig. And so I also just, we, we both want to, whatever we get next, we want to pay cash for and just kind of not have to have payments and stuff. So that's kind of another motive as well. Um, so I think, um, you know, we, 
I'm not super as attached as I thought it would be, and maybe it'll be different when I sell it. I love the rig. We love the layout, so I think we'll definitely miss it. But it also, we're kind of big on just, like, saying, like, we're going to do something and then putting ourselves in that uncomfortable situation to just figure it out and, and figure out what's next. And so that's always a fun place to be in, too. Would, would you think you'd move into a small unit to do, like, more, like, stealth camping and boondocking? or? Yeah, and, uh, I mean, in the next couple of years, um, our next big goal slash dream is to build a campground. Um, and so maybe we may even be a bit more stationary as we're building like a park, uh, whether we buy an existing campground or build one of our own. Um, and if we did that, we might have more of like a towable unit potentially. Um, and so, yeah, we're kind of looking at international trip, uh, RV trips, uh, in the next year and then maybe doing like a campground. So it's still a little bit in flux. Um, you know, we have our, our work plans. We don't necessarily know our, all of our travel plans after the next six months. So we'll see. (laughs) building a campground yeah we what, did uh, like a what inspired that um I, we just think uh i think we can do them better um oh. than a lot of the ones that we have been so like during our summit and i don't want, i know that probably came out um egotistical and i didn't mean it like that <laughs> no but, everyone's but, been to one where you're just like yeah, what is going on here <laughs> there's just things that we would really love to see in some parks like we during our summit we did a um kind of an impromptu co-working space it wasn't that impromptu we planned it but we had like high-speed internet so like 90 megs down and it was like 50 people in their day and so you have like this community that now has a central place that they can work and like hang out together and we had um served coffee we did a wine tasting And so these are kind of like really cool things that we feel like our community would love and that we would love in a park because there's so many people who want to go out and travel and experience different parts of the country. But campgrounds aren't really conducive for that. But yet you have this this whole movement, not just within our RV community, but even bigger than that, who, you know, like want to work and travel and kind of have this mix of everything. And so would our dream is to build a campground that can facilitate that that's modern got a coffee shop maybe a little gym on site people could come there for a couple months high-speed internet co-working spaces and and stuff like that and um and and so that's kind of the thing that we want to build and give a try out the next few years yeah it's kind of seems seems like you know meshing what people want in cities as well you know it's like everybody wants that internet cafe with a good espresso and everybody wants to be able to go out to do like a wine bar and or a sp- fancy cocktail lounge like sure. bringing that to the rv community is honestly i, I think yeah. you got, i think you got something good there i i think so too uh so we have a little bit to go before we can just jump in all on that but it's definitely something like i'm constantly online looking at campgrounds and um you just, you just and kind buy of like talking to real t- what is it you just buy a campground like they're just you can just buy yeah you can just buy a campground like a property um the hard part is that uh, they're, it's hard to, they're hard to find and you need, we we're looking for like a certain type of infrastructure on ours, you know, like something that can be within like an hour to a city. So it's like, you'd want to go there and plus in a pretty location and all that type of stuff. So there's a lot of factors and it's stuff, but it's something like I'm talking about with Alyssa, like almost on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't want to get too far into this. Can any piece of land just become a, a campground? If you if you buy it and own it, you can just say, "Hey, this is a campground." Or does, is there like it has to be it has to be zoned for commercial use? Uh, and I won't pretend to know all the nuances, but you also have to look at like how far do you need to dig, or what is it going to take to get sewer and water there. Um, and a lot of this, I know we're going to learn as we go. I also, know that like getting permits in the south is easier than having permits in the north getting permits in the northeast just from talking to campground owners. And so part of like what we're doing with talking about like everything kind of 
coming back under the same umbrella and being in the same vertical and how there's compounding interest, you know, like we're talking a lot of campgrounds, learning a lot about their business right now as we're building campground booking. So uh, there's a lot of things that hopefully will come back and help us as we build something of our own. Yeah, I guess there's, there's probably a lot more logistics into it than just buying the piece of property. I mean, I, I'm no property law expert by any means, nor do I understand <laughs> the inner workings of sewer lines and electrical power lines. But that, that kind of almost like transitions perfectly into the next topic I wanted to bring up, which is kind of like why we named the show Stories from the Road is just we always everyone always likes to hear the best stories from people's lives in RVs and just traveling the country. But I've I've noticed, and especially from feedback we've gotten, people really like to hear the bad. The what has been you? you what would you say has been your least proud RVer moment? So there's two different stories I could tell here. I mean, there's a bunch, but there's two that come to mind. One is like one where we broke down and kind of turned it around and ended up being like a really cool moment. That's kind of like a more rah-rah inspirational one. But there's also one that's like my genuinely least proud moment was like six months into our trip, uh, our first year on the road. And Alyssa and I got in a really bad fight and just we both kind of lost our tempers over just stuff that wasn't meaningful and ended up going for like a walk around. And I just kind of had to do like a gut check um, because we we were we were stressed. Money was tight. We were still figuring out what we were going to do uh, to continue building up our income. And like money, money adds stress. And then you have travel on top of that. And we're trying to finish this project. And and it was just a hard moment. I just remember journaling after and thinking about it. And it's like we went on this trip because we wanted to have freedom, not because we wanted to kill ourselves um, with work and, and just trying to stress. And, and I just realized, like, even if we did run out of money and had to go back home, their tail between our legs and get a new job, I was going to enjoy the time left that we had on the road. And I was going to try to do the, my best to to make the most of it. So I would say that was a huge learning and not super proud RV moment. And I've tried to kind of carry that with us as we continue to go see new places. And, and um, like we're going to New Zealand and I want to make the most of this time. And sometimes it's hard because at 27 now, I, I you know, I'm in that phase of my life where I should be. I, I tell myself I should be heads down, always building, always building as an entrepreneur. And, and um, but then there's this other part of me that's like, one day when you're 80 years old, you won't regret taking this time for two months to go spend in New Zealand with your wife because you only get this life to live once. So um, there's always those two voices in my head kind of pushing back on each other. And some days one wins and someday the other wins. But I think it's kind of a healthy thing that I've learned from moments like that. And with all with all that and then, you know, all you have planned aside, you know, in the, for the future, when adversity strikes like that, uh, what kind of keeps you going? Like what, what can, what, it's got to be so easy to just to be able to, to look and be like, hey, you know, this is bad. This this is so much harder than just getting an apartment and, you know, having the nine to five. And uh, I'm terrified of having a nine to five. I'm terrified of uh, um, I don't know. I just I, at this point, there's not really an option but to keep moving forward. I think in the early days, it probably would have been easier to quit. But I think once you get to a certain point, it's like, okay, well, you just figure it out um, and you just keep moving forward. And, um, you know, I think it would have been different if we had put our if we hadn't planned, if we hadn't like figured out how to keep earning money. So it's like there were points when we're like, this is really hard and this is challenging. 
but to me it always just spurred it on like okay I just have to work harder I got to stay up late tonight I have to um, have to make keep making opportunities for ourselves and our family because we you know you have to, your backs up against the wall and you have no other choice so I guess my mind it goes forward and not I don't think of like caving in and going back it's more just like I have to use this awkward hard difficult moment to make the most out of the situation and um, to kind of use it as fuel to, to make sure that we're not here again. So would you say like your mindset is almost more like the complete opposite of like the like quote unquote person with a normal life where like you're at the point now where it's almost like someone that lives in a house making the jump to living in an RV, you going back is like just as, you know, ludicrous to some degree. Totally. Uh, not at all actually, because we talk like we'll have a house and we'll have, uh, you know, a family and, um, I, I, I don't see us even traveling full time the first few years we have kids and, um, and you know, so I, it's not fearful of going back to that now at all because, and I, and I've, and I've been pretty upfront about that because we've built a community around this whole idea of going to travel full time. And it could at times feel like, Oh, well, what if we realize that one day we wake up and hate RVing? Like, will we lose everything we've worked for? And, and the truth is maybe some people, you know, like won't be a part of like, won't want to follow us on YouTube or podcasts or anymore because we're not traveling. Maybe, but maybe not. Um, you know, like I said, it's, we've kind of been already transitioning more to like talking more about business and you know, like what enables it. And, um, so I definitely don't think that it, it won't be relevant and I'm not fearful of like going to live in a house or anything like that. I guess it's more along the lines of like just quitting in general. Like I remember that first year on the road, there was times when like we had to stay in a parking lot because, you know, like we had already kind of blown our lodging budget for the month, but I wasn't comfortable staying in a parking lot because it was just a random place or whatever. And I was still like with my newlywed wife and, you know, it was still kind of weird to be in an RV and I just hadn't gotten comfortable with it yet. And so I just remember like staying up late to like crank out some work that night because I was motivated to make sure that we didn't have to do this in the future. Um, does that make sense? Yes, yeah, completely. With all the bad aside, you know, and hard times and the, behind you uh what would you say has been your favorite trip so far uh honestly the first thing that comes to mind is well when you say a trip i think of like a subsection of our rving for the past four years so like a specific trip so what i think is last last spring before the hurricane we went down to the florida keys on a week-long road trip in the keys and we didn't do anything other we did like a vlog we vlogged it so on our youtube at heath and Alyssa. so like but that's all we did um, and that was like the first time we'd ever done that was just like, we're going to film. We, it was like a media trip. We'd never done one of those, but like the tourism association, the keys wanted to promote RVing and, uh, through Winnebago, we got to like go down there and be a part of it. Uh, and we're like, heck yeah, you know, like free trip to the keys. Uh, and we, <laughs> so we had never really been down there. And so we got to hang out with all these really cool people and just RV'd around the keys for a week. And that was hands down my favorite. The whole trip was planned we had like key lime pie and that's like all its different forms. I had a key lime colada. We got to swim with sharks. We um, paddled around and kayaked through the mangroves and just really kind of lived it up a little bit, you know, in the, on this Florida Keys trip, which is so different than our normal day to day where we, you know, like in the summer we spend our time in Maine, you know, and it's very normal for us, like go do some hikes and get out of the RV during the day after work or whatever, before work. But this whole idea of like taking a full week and really embracing a place like we hadn't really done like that before. So that was amazing. Yeah, it's always cool to like try and like want to be a local when you go somewhere. But, you know, you can't sleep on the on the idea of just wanting to be like the hardcore tourist. Yeah. yeah. And I think we did 
probably we did mostly tourist stuff, but we also had a guy who had been living there his whole life and his dad like even handled PR for the key. So like everywhere we went, everybody knew Andy. And uh, so he like kind of knew the spots like some were obviously pretty tourist centric and we did a lot of that probably like 80 percent but we also did some local stuff too and um it was fun and i don't get all bent out of shape over if i do something touristy versus local it's kind of a big thing like in the rv community in the full-time travel community it's like don't do the touristy spots and like sometimes you know you just got to or, i want to swim you sharks to. you don't have to yeah exactly <laughs> like if i want to do that and it sounds fun just because it is a touristy thing it's not going to stop me um but yeah a lot of times it is good to not go to the crazy packed places and pay overpriced for sure it's busy for a reason that's all i'm gonna say i'm gonna leave it there (laughs) yeah so on that note actually that actually uh brings us right to the end of the show and i'll just say again thank you so much for doing this episode with me hey guys thank you so much for tuning in to that episode with stories from the road podcast uh sam did an awesome job enjoyed talking with him so make sure to go give those guys a listen on itunes or spotify or soundcloud stitcher wherever you listen to podcasts and let me know how you enjoyed this episode shoot me a message on instagram at heath and Alyssa, and let me know always love hearing from you guys i will see you guys next week on the rv entrepreneur podcast 